You're listening to Make It Big, a podcast about all things e-commerce, created by Big Commerce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Make It Big podcast. I'm Megan Stabler, Senior Vice President of Marketing here at Big Commerce, where we're delivering e-commerce for a new era by focusing on the power and flexibility of our open platform to enable each business to optimize e-commerce for their specific needs. We've got a great episode in store for you today with representatives from two of our big commerce partners, Digital River and AmericanEagle.com, to talk about global expansion and multi-storefront. Joining me today are my good friends, Pierre DeBost, General Manager of EMEA for AmericanEagle.com, and Ted Rogers, Chief Revenue Officer from Digital River. Thank you both for lending your time and expertise to the Make It Big podcast. Ted, would you like to share a bit more about Digital River's mission? Yeah, so uh, thank you very much, Megan. Uh, so Digital River is a uh, it's a company that provides merchant of record services through our global seller services capabilities that can combine payments, tax, fraud, and compliance, as well as logistics, helping brands sell goods and services all across the globe. Thank you, Ted. And then we have AmericanEagle.com, a web design development and digital agency. My good friend, Pierre, is here with us. Uh, Pierre, would you like to elaborate on what American Eagle does for us? Sure. Thanks, Megan. And, and hi, Ted. Lovely to be here. We appreciate the opportunity to uh, participate alongside Big Commerce and Digital River. So I'm Pierre, and I've been part of the American Eagle family for several years now. Um, American Eagle is a, an amazing family-owned, full-service digital agency uh, with a localized presence in the US, Europe, and the Gulf, and soon the Far East. Uh, we have about 20 offices, and we are a one-stop e-commerce shop with uh, 25 years of delivery experience helping clients from startup to enterprise. Uh, we build the website, help drive traffic, optimize conversion, and our brilliant account managers leverage our full service practices to help clients define and execute progressive measurable roadmaps uh, to achieve their business and customer experience objectives. And that really sets the stage for why we've invited these amazing partners to talk with us today about the importance of cross-border selling. It's about potentially untapped markets for your business, the proliferation of your brand, and being a player in an increasingly competitive, expanding landscape. So let's get into it. Uh, I like to get right into the value for our audience on a topic like global expansion, right? I pose this really to both of you. Why should a retailer consider cross-border selling in the first place? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Really, we're a global market, right? I mean, brands have an opportunity to continue to expand their, their, their businesses by um, seeking new places to find consumers. You know, they're, they're looking outside their domestic markets. We're seeing that more and more. It's really easy to be very good at what you do in your own backyard, but it's harder once you start to, to, to look across um, into, into other regions. But, you know, the, being, a, being a global market and with the proliferation of, of e-commerce, consumers really don't care that much about where a product is coming from or, or what the, uh, uh, where it's being delivered from. What they want is they want their their goods or their services the way that they they want to receive it. So um, and as as you know, brands look at it, you know, cross border commerce or international commerce is growing at double the rate uh, of domestic, and so it gives brands an opportunity to improve their uh, their growth at a much faster rate than than just by continuing to try to expand in their current markets. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's going to be similar, right? I, I think international expansion offers you know brand growth opportunities there's potentially big rewards if you mitigate the risks um you know here in the uk you know we've got some examples that i think you may have heard of 
in terms of Dyson, Bowden, Boohoo, ASOS, Farfetch. You know, they've all done an amazing job in identifying the opportunities. I think it also provides, you know, more purpose for the products that you sell, right? Greater exposure. Um, It can also, I think, reduce exposure to headwinds in the home market, right? By, you know, not putting all your eggs in one basket. I think, you know, for your team, I think there's, you know, fabulous new experiences, opportunities and challenges for them to relish. You know, you've got uh, different sort of channels to consider, direct to consumer through distributors. You know, do I do marketplaces? Um, do I do social selling? You know, there's the, you know there's a, there's a great opportunity there to put your thinking cap on, put it into action, and, and realize the rewards. Yeah, I mean, I, I love I love the opportunity, right? But it, with opportunity can be complex, right? And so part of this podcast is really to break down the steps and the thoughts that you have to have. Because, I mean, the brands that you mentioned, they're big global brands, right? They probably already have the, the, the influence from a brand reputation or even the influence from a resources. But what I'd like to be able to, to decompose for our listeners, though, is how does a brand start off thinking about this, right? Because we're going to take our listeners through some of the consideration sets that you have to sort of say, it is not as complex as you may think it is, but there is a stepwise or at least an awareness approach that you have to take through it, through this. So Pierre, let's go back to you with this, right? So, all right, you gave us that sort of logistics and what people need to think about and exposing your brand and fighting off headwinds and expanding your markets and doing this, right? But, but where and how do they start on this thing? What, what, what would you recommend to some of those brands? So holistically, uh, from a digital agency point of view, we'd recommend what we call a crawl, walk and run approach. Um, I'm not going to focus too much on the crawl bit first, because I know we cover that off uh, a bit further in, in, in today's podcast. But if I move much more to, to the walk part, which is very much about sort of you know, understanding in your home market, is it operational excellence where you compete on price for success? You know, for international markets, you know, it may be that operational excellence doesn't apply and that you need to focus on your service differentiators to command a higher price to make margin internationally. So there's there's a there's a lot to sort of be mindful of. But but in the cruel in the cruel aspect of the cruel walk run, it is very much about sort of doing the research country by country, understanding, uh, you know, culturally, you know, what's going to take, get traction and, and what's not. When you're on to the walk side of things, it's now applying a structured approach to the growth. You know, what is the goal for each country? Define the strategy um, to achieve the goal. Uh, are you going to start with a soft launch, perhaps via uh, sort of local marketplaces? Are you going to commit to a hard launch with a, a direct-to-consumer website or leverage a local distributor or engage a service partner like Digital River, you know, for payments and merchant of record and, and so on. So there's there's a lot to think about. I think in terms of big commerce, from our perspective, um, we think it's an ideal home market and scalable international e-commerce platform. Our big commerce practice team and customers love it. I can uh, categorically say that we've never had a client migrate away from a big commerce implementation. I think out of the box, it offers a comprehensive, composable approach. You've got an expanding portfolio of third-party plugins and APIs to help you win. Uh, and of course, the multi-site administration suite is designed for international engagement. So, you know, from our point of view, providing you've done your research, you've uh, determined your strategy, 
you've then selected the right e-commerce platform and, and third-party service providers. That's that's the basics to kind of get things going. One thing I would say in addition to that is try and determine, you know, for you as a business, what does good look like in terms of the country that you're intending to launch in? You know, create budgets with ROI measures for comparative analysis that will then help you in terms of decisions, uh, in terms of optimizing, you know, operationally and, and the customer experience moving forward. That sounds really cool. I mean, I, I guess part of this is really finding what your MVP is going to be for each market segment and defining it based off of personas, audience types, you know, the pain points you can build into it. And, and I'd probably throw another one in there as well. What is your competition doing or likely to do, right? Because that needs to be another another balance. So, all right, we've got, we've got a good sense that we need to do some research. We need to build out you know, what are we going after as far as audiences? And by the way, thanks for the for the kudos unsolicited on big comments there. I do appreciate that. Uh, but you've, you've figured out your audience. You've figured out what you've got. You've figured out what you need to now do and the and the solutions that are going to go serve them, right? Um, but now you have to connect the dots, right? You've got to you've got to think about the business goals to that user experience. So so what do you do next? Pierre, I'm going to throw it right back to you because you're on, on that role anyway. Okay. Well, on the basis that you've done the market research, which is looking at the product and customer experience fit, you've determined the country strategy, you've defined the business activities by country, you've determined if the user experience and user journey is adapting to achieve the desired economic performance. You've got to measure, calibrate, A-B test, you know, check for ADA compliance uh, and best practice design. Um, I mean, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to mention big commerce because it's a great fit for, for international markets. We love Cornerstone, the flexibility to develop a big commerce theme that supports your branding and design guidelines. We think, you know, with the big commerce platform, the plugins, you can optimize the customer experience and customer journey to achieve the business objectives. So I think making sure you've got the technology as an enabler you can you can combine it all to uh, execute uh, a great user experience. And is there, is there anything else, if you figure out what the platform is, what we should be putting in there? Well, I, I'm just wondering, right, what, what else do we need to start considering, right? If we got the platform squared away, I mean, you've, you've, thankfully, you've, you've mentioned BigCommerce a couple of times, right? But, but what are the other things that you have to think about from the platform and what it's going to deliver, at least from your, your merchandising strategy and other things? I mean, there's, there's other components that you've got to start thinking about in that strategy as you're planning entry into a market, right? Uh, and that's right. I mean, I think, you know, going back to the crawl, walk, run analogy, once once you're up and running, I think it's, it is definitely about leveraging the metrics, you know, understand what they're telling you, uh, what audience behaviors are driving those metrics, calibrate, optimize the opportunity. I mean, from our perspective, and, uh, you know, e-commerce is a continuous process for home and, and international markets. You know, you, it's always on. So it's once you take off the ultimate goal from from my point of view, is infinite flight, you know, with the checkpoints measuring health, you know, keeping keeping you up there. Thanks, Pierre, for that. So let's start talking about expansion itself. I want to turn to you now, Ted. You know, how do you find your new audience? Where do you think e-commerce businesses should look in this global expansion that we're talking about? Yeah, thank you for that, Megan. Um, when we work with our clients, uh, we, we, we generally start with them by trying to look at the areas that have low barriers to entry. So we're, we're going global can be and, and sound very daunting to brands at first. It doesn't really need to be. Um, and that can be handled through a number of different ways. 
So one of the one of the examples of places that we work with our clients on is even if they have you know a domestic market, they have their their e-commerce experience in their home in their home market. Um, oftentimes, we'll we'll work with clients to look at their their current traffic sources and see where are they coming from from you know other countries um, where traffic might be coming from uh, from outside their domestic market and and exploring um, and looking at the products that they would have on their site. You know, this is sort of like a, a, a internet word of mouth uh, to, to, is one way to start. Um, and from there, once once you start with with that, you know, you can you can certainly look at that and do this with you know similar countries that have similar characteristics. So, for example, if you're in the U.S. and you, you know you look and start with other English speaking countries, just to try to start that international experience um, and build uh, upon that. So, work through the the uh, challenges you might come across for your first time uh, going international or, or cross border, and as you build up that experience, you can start to take on more of the other challenging countries um, or, or more of the long tail countries. The other aspect that that we work with with clients on is is you know recommending that they start with markets that are a bit more mature. It's it's very easy to to look at you know really high growth rates that might be double or near triple digit you know e commerce growth rates. Um, but generally, those are going to be your less mature or more of the long tail countries. So when we work with these clients, we, we look at them and say, you know, start with an area that has similar experiences, that has a bit more um, of, a, of a, you know, mature e-commerce environment so that you can build upon what, you know, what other brands have done, what other experiences are. And more than likely, that's where your competitors are, are at as well. So you want to make sure you're in, in the markets where, you know, you can build upon success. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I, I, I'm responsible for uh, international expansion here at Big Commerce, and, and I look at a lot of different metrics, including um, the explosion or the use of mobile devices and tablets. I look at payments and the types of payments that are going on. I look at what are the segments that are, that are happening today, right? You know, in, in APAC, it makes up six of the 10 fastest growing countries for retail e-commerce sales. And then we've just expanded ourselves into Latin America and have more expansion to go in as well. And three markets in LATAM are really cracking into the top 10 itself. So it is not just looking at the easy places to go that is just the like and the same as you do today, but is also really looking at what's growing and what's coming. Social media, social channels, omni-channels, what are the biggest things? Is it a WhatsApp or a Snap? Is it a Facebook or Instagram? What are those growth rates as well? Some of the things I look at it. So, you know, I'm going to go back to you now, Pierre, and talk a little bit more about, you know, we keep talking about a lot of things to consider. So it has to become taxing on a team and put some stress on probably your established processes of, you know, I'm going to use the British word plodding along, right? We're just going to go slowly and do it. But this is a hyper competitive market, right? We talked about the necessity of looking at what your competition is doing as you look into these markets. So, you know, what are, what are the keys to long-term success through these growing pains? What should you be looking at as that balance between taxing your team, putting stress on established processes? How do you look at it? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think operational efficiency needs to match growth to support margin. Um, you need to figure out what generic website and fulfillment processes can be employed versus country specific. Uh, you have to be quick off the march in identifying operational issues and, and, and resolving them. Um, I mean, I think from a, an e-commerce platform perspective, um, BigCommerce's multi-storefront um, helps optimize website operations on, on the front end and back end. So I think, you know, again, you know, selecting the right tech stack to support uh, your international growth, um, you know, will help you react to these challenges. 
Um, and then in addition to that, I mean, ultimately, you want to be growing your turnover. So I think regularly, you know, reviewing, optimizing the customer experience for new repeat customers, um, including, you know, review of customer acquisition channels, uh, you know, I think that's really important. And your product mix and, and aligning, you know, what, what, it, what are the value adds that appeal to those target customers in those specific countries? You know, some countries expect um, free shipping, others don't. Um, so I think from an operational point of view, uh, it is you know, zero in operational efficiency, uh, but be aware of the cultural differences that you need to maintain. Yeah, and so let, let's keep that conversation then going around cult- cultural concerns, right? It, it's always obvious to me when somebody gets it right, because I can see myself in the imagery, the personalization they're bringing forward. And, and we have to think when you're doing cross-border, you know, I may be selling into an Indonesian market, but I don't want to use just white person imagery or the way that I may like to have salutations. And I think, Pierre, you and I both coming from Europe, we know that with formal and informal uh, emails and letters that go to somebody who's in Holland is different to somebody who's in France, is different to somebody who's in the UK, and is completely different to somebody who's in the US that just says, hi, Pierre, how you doing, right? You're not gonna have that in an email going into the UK. So let's get into the cultural concerns, right? Because I think any aspect of business that crosses borders has to be conscious of things like cultural sensitivities, local traditions, the regional specific omni-channels that I mentioned before that are in there. So this is sort of the open question for both of you, right? How do you make sure you're doing the right thing by the various locales in which you're selling into? Who wants to pick that one up first, Ted, Pierre? I, I can start, Pierre. If you want to, if you want to uh, jump on after this, you know, we actually one of the things that we did uh, last year, we conducted a study um, with Payments.com, and uh, it was all about cross-border friction index. Right? Was was how, what was the consumer experience like? What were they? What are their expectations um, when they're looking to 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 purchase online? And we did it both from a local perspective, but really trying to understand the the, the implications. Um, through the eyes of the consumer for 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 cross border, you know, you know, where the with the inventory is in a different country and and having it shipped to to uh, the country where the consumer's at, and you know, so it was kind of a ranking, right? Pretty pretty straightforward based upon a whole bunch of factors. We 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 kind of built this score, this index, and for the for the brands that were at the top, you know, seventy five percent of the of the top brands that we saw were using some form of IP geo detection. To basically use everything that they could to understand where the consumer is at, and then uh, localize that experience. And oftentimes, from a digital rubber perspective, we talk localization, and that's usually localization of, of the payments, the currency, making sure you're collecting tax the right way, and uh, assessing fraud based upon you know what we know about that uh, that market. But but you know the first parts of those mean something to the consumer. The back real back office things that they 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 don't even you know the fraud aspects. The consumer doesn't really care about, but what the consumer does care about is is using that uh, under you know understanding where they're at to do what you can to get it that experience in the right language and like you talk about the imagery even down to the catalog because you can't necessarily ship every product to every country as you, especially when you get into this you know this cross border commerce you have to make sure you know that you can sell your product there so making sure your catalog represents. The products that they can actually purchase can be delivered to them within the within the bounds and the rules and regulations of of international commerce, right? So that's one of the main things that 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 we we saw, which was a which was a shift uh, for for the consumer was 
really more about having that real local experience like you talked about, Megan, um, where years ago it used to be about speed of transaction. Now speed of transaction is an expectation that I'm going to be able to get the things, get through the process, get what I want and, and complete that transaction quickly. That's not a laborious process. It's really about that experience and does it match my cultural expectations. Yeah. Pierre, what, what are we missing from that part of the conversation? What else do you have to consider? Okay, so uh, going back to, and, and, that, and that was really helpful, so thanks for that. Um, going back to what I was talking about earlier about crawl, walk, run, I, I think that, you know, if, you, if you're going to embark on, on an international sort of expansion, I think, you know, start, start with market research, right? I mean, there are the basics that Ted covered, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, what's the lowest inhibitor in point in terms of entry, you know, English speaking, so on. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, no matter what home country you're operating from, your government uh, will have an international trade office. Okay, and in the UK, for example, there's a, a really good op um, government department office called the UK uh, Trade and Industry Department, and they execute uh, um, a, a program that helps uh, you know companies uh, export. Um, and uh, within within that particular program. Uh, you can get access to sort of um, market intelligence resources and reports and, and so on. And then, you know, adding to that, you've then got the independent service providers, like, again, within, from a UK perspective, you've got Internet Retailer, uh, and these guys produce Retail X reports, you know, by industry, by country. Um, uh, you, you know, you can review those to identify products and service gaps, opportunities uh, upon which to, you know, launch your brand and products. And then, you know, one of the other things, I mean, obviously I work for an American company uh, and we've been reviewing sort of um, an, organization, an organization called AmCham, which is, you know, American Chamber of Commerce who has a presence around the world. And those guys have, you know, do have European offices, offices in the Gulf, uh, and they've got a lot of uh, information and resources that you can, uh, you know, help you uh, sort of get the basics right in terms of, how do I localize my brand and offering you know, to serve this country? Once you've got that information, you've got to sit down and you've got to say to yourself, okay, well, what are my cultural differences in my home market versus the country that I'm looking to launch into? And identify those differences. You know, for example, you know, if, if you're in the beverage, uh, you know, selling beverages online, you know, perhaps selling a, a new alcohol, alcoholic cocktail uh, you know, to countries in the GCC isn't going to go down well. But if you happen to be in the European and American sports car parts uh, business, you know, it will go down very well. Um, Megan alluded earlier that sort of, you know, looking at sort of uh, how people engage digitally, uh, I think, um, you know, certainly, you know, many countries, especially sort of in the Far East, you know, mobile just kills desktop. Uh, and so, you know, you've got to think about, you know, how these people, you know, engaging digitally, you know, with your brand. So, you know, in summarizing, I think, uh, you know, determine your country localization strategy, you know, look at your products, look at your content, will it work? And if, if you think you, it's a go, then localize the payments, the taxing, uh, the taxes, the shipping, the returns, you know, also check to see if your planned promotions and discounts will apply culturally, because again, some countries it doesn't resonate, you know, that if, 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 if you apply some form of discount, it, it may seem that sort of actually it's a cheap product or something like that. So to so be wary of, 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 of all of that. 
if you look at all those aspects, you'll connect the dots and, I, and I'm sure you'll be able to launch successfully in a new country. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we've... <laughs> Yeah, um, it really does start with the payment, right? I mean, that's as far as the the consumer uh, goes. They they have a couple different aspects of, of the payment that they that, that in that transaction that they care about uh, a lot. One is, can I transact in the currency that uh, that represents you know my country? I mean that 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 people people want to 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 look and feel like as as close to them as possible. So you want to make sure you can transact in their in the local currency. The other is the payment methods, right? I mean, I know Pierre brought that up, and Megan, you mentioned it as well. But uh, I, I think it's 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 amazing to me as I joined Digital River was the variety of payment methods that that are can be in each country, right? If you look at in the EU, there's 25 different payment methods, you know, that that we support alone, um, and you know, country by country, you know, there are there are very uh, interesting nuances, like even within that within like in, in Europe, especially in Germany, you have direct debit, which is very popular, but not used. I mean, you don't see that in other regions, other areas. Um, and so making sure you have have those right payment methods that are going to be the accepted and most widely used within those within the countries is, is important. Um, wallets ever growing, constantly growing, and especially in APAC, you, you, in, in, especially as you, as you get more mobile. Megan, um, you talked about that as well, more, more brands uh, or, or more consumers are you know, expanding and, and, and transacting from a uh, e-commerce standpoint from their mobile devices more than ever, and that's where wallets really come into play. They already sit there, already exist there. It's just an important aspect that brands have to have to think about. And then understanding kind of where that that uh, future of, of payments is going for any any country is important to keep an eye on as well. Growing uh, growing use of buy now pay later. Right. I want I want to buy the, this luxury good or maybe it's not even that luxury of a good. It's just I'd rather spread the payments over over four payments. Those are kind of aspects that can can vary country by country. Um, we do have a great resource on our on our website where, where brands can uh, go and look to at a country level and understand what the key points are by market and uh, what the uh, top payment methods are by market. So, you know, you know, folks listening to this could go to uh, digital.com and, and find that under resources. Um, the other component, like I said, beyond the payments and, and currency, which are just they're just must-haves. If you don't have that experience right, um, you'll lower your likelihood of repeat purchase, or actually even you, you risk cart abandonment by not having what the, the consumers um, looking for. But it does get deeper than that. Then it is making sure you have uh, that you're representing the taxes appropriately, because there even in some countries, um, I know there's a little bit about this that I, I can talk to a little bit later too, but is you know, um, the the e-invoicing requirements that countries have, making sure that tax is being collected correctly. You know, and even in some countries, they put part of the onus of that back to the consumer and they've created a lottery around uh, 
the submission of your e-invoice puts you in a lottery so that you get uh, you get you can win an award at the end of the at the end of the year. The the idea for that is, you know, there the the government is is getting the consumer to help them make sure that they are collecting the taxes that they expect to collect, right? And so now it becomes a cultural norm for for these countries. I mean, there's like 80 plus countries now. I think is what it is that that are that are instituting or have instituted uh, e-invoicing requirements. So it just kind of continues through through the transaction process. Uh, making sure you have all these components right to meet their meet their cultural expectations. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm glad you touched on moving from just payments and and costs and landing and everything else into taxes, right? Because taxes can be clum- complex and even more complex depending on the country that you're trying to do business with. You, you get into Brazil, it can be a nightmare of figuring out the taxes. So I'm glad that Digital Rivers are around and doing that. But the other thing that I think is important that we do touch on briefly is that around compliance, right? Uh, a lot of countries started off uh, very heavily in Europe with GDPR and what the uh, the European Union was doing to protect privacy and rights. We're seeing a lot more coming out in other countries and other nations around the world. So any guidance from from either of you on how do you guide around compliance? I mean, you can't not do it. So how do you do it in a way that you know you're going to be safe, I guess is the right way to do it? Well, that's one of the things that Digital River does for its clients, right? So what you, you, you mentioned merchant of record. Um, we act as merchant of record. And what that means for uh, folks is that we take on both the financial uh, responsibility and the legal responsibility of the completion of a transaction. So our job is to shield um, brands from risk. I mean, that's that's really a cornerstone of, of, of why brands work with us and the simplicity of it. Because t- taxes, as an example, tax compliance, and there's all kinds of different types of compliance, but tax compliance, I'll just continue on this for a moment, it's ever-changing, constantly changing. You know, you have uh, more and more countries putting in uh, digital uh, service taxes because the the growth of e-commerce, but even even where people think it's easy, well, you know, especially if you're a U.S. based company, you think doing business in the U.S. is easy. Well, you got 50 states with different tax laws in each state, and you got uh, some states that have different tax laws. And in like Louisiana, they have 64 different tax jurisdictions, as an example, right? So those are those, and, and it and it changes, you know, constantly changing across the globe. So staying ahead of that is important. But the, the other aspects of, of compliance is, can I sell my product in that country? How do I make sure that the trade compliance is, is set right? So that using, you know, HS codes, um, you know, Digital River working with our partners has the, has the technology in place to make sure that we can help brands to be able to assess that. You know, can I, can I sell my product from point A to point B? Is that okay? You know, but you have to be able to know what the product's made of you know, um, go all the way down to the materials list in, in some cases to make sure that, that, that that's an okay thing to do. The other component I would, I would offer on top of that um, is making sure you're not inserting surprise into the transaction for an end consumer. So duties, the collection of duties uh, from an import standpoint uh, is an important thing as well. So, you know, again, th- there's, there's ongoing changes around tariffs and, and, and duties, et cetera. But be able to display that to the consumer in the in the checkout process and make sure it's it's clear, it's transparent. Going back to making sure you have the right customer experience, you want to make sure that you put that up front and have the ability for a consumer to pay that and, and understand what they're paying versus later when that product is delivered to the consumer, where the delivery person is knocking at the door and saying, "Hey, by the way, you owe me another whatever it might be." In some cases, 
it might be more than the product you paid for up, uh, to start with, right? You mentioned Brazil, and I, I've seen cases where that's 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 happened. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love this and I do appreciate Merchant Records. And so for merchants that are listening to it, you know, please engage with Digital River and, and others that, that do this. And uh, I don't want Pierre to laugh, but I'm a diehard Leeds United fan, right? Been that fan since birth. And a couple of nights ago, I did go ahead and purchase their 2023 um, season top. And the confirmation email did come back with merchant of record information, which I appreciated because it gave me more confidence that that piece of good that I just ordered was going to be getting to me in Austin, Texas, uh, you know, with everything taken care of and no additional hidden uh, import taxes that I would have to worry about and stuff like that. So I do appreciate the work that you all do. So, look, we've talked about a lot of stuff, right? We, we sort of keep moving through this. Um, you, you, you've figured out how to sell online, what to sell online. You figured out who to sell online. You've started getting those conversions. You started getting the sales, right? But but what about shipping, right? It is important that I, the consumer, uh, know that I'm going to be getting my goods, just as you've talked about, Ted, in a proven way. Um, there are services, for example, that I use in the UK that ship certain products, grocery products to me within 24 hours using a carrier, uh, one of our big commerce partners like DHL. And I'm guaranteed I'm going to get it. And I love it because I'm a chocoholic and I get my chocolate. And you know, I'm in Texas, so it gets melted. And so it's all good. But but what do we have to think about when international here starts scaling for us, right? How can merchants overcome the challenge without leaving the shoppers an unpleasant experience? So we want to delight customers. Pierre, you talked about it as customer experience. That's at the forefront of a lot of the things. We've talked about how to go ahead and make sure that we're looking at those right shoppers in the right countries. So um, part of the buyer journey is, is shipping and logistics. So what do we have to do to get it right? Yeah, so um, this has come up a lot. It, it is about research, right? Do, doing your research to understand what the, what the aspects of trade compliance are. Uh, I, I've probably said this a few times already. But making sure you can you can sell the product in the country that you want to you want to have it in. So that's that's just step one. Um, you know, understanding that the, the customs aspect and the commerce trade rules. Um, again, we were just talking about the the, the duties and taxes uh, for import export. Um, but you know, shipping shipping rates can 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 fluctuate, and this is where it comes down to a, a brand has to figure out what is the right um, distribution model for them. Which means you know you can have centralized inventory sitting in one country, and you're going to ship it out to all the different locations. Um, you can go all the way to to moving inventory into you know every country you want to go do business, do business in. But the the broader you get from those, um, you know, to to the number of countries you want to support, the harder that is to to maintain as a real distributed uh, inventory. And so we see we see kind of kind of a hybrid across the board of, of is it hub and spoke or is it a hubless model? You know those kind of things with, that we work with, uh, work with work with clients on, um, but but again the, the the journey doesn't end when a consumer gets their product right, especially in the e-commerce space when you when you go into some of the physical goods, especially like in apparel, right? Brands, uh, you know, the the rate of return within within the the apparel space is something that brands have to contend with, so you have to make sure. Not only can I get my product to them and and in a timely fashion that meets their needs, so figuring out what uh, what the customer expectation is based upon uh, helps you define where you need to where you need to maintain your inventory. But is being able to handle that uh, reverse logistics process. 
what's going to happen when somebody wants to return it. In some cases, brands just say, keep it. It costs me more to have you return it than it does for me just to ship you another one. But if you, you have to you know, consider the aspects of where is it going to return to? How am I going to process the return? How am I going to get that back? And am I going to put that product back in circulation? How am I going to handle the, 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 the refund process or the, the return of and, and the, the recollection of, of taxes that may have been paid already on that? So there's, there's all kinds of different components that, that brands have to think about, but it does all start with the research from the product you have and the, the countries you want to you go into, but understanding the consumer expectations that go along with that. Fantastic, Ted, thank you. Hey, Pierre, look, a couple of quick questions for you, if you can do it for me, right? You know, how do we, as a merchant listening to this that wants to do this international stuff, cut through all the complexity and arrive at a simplified strategy? What are the three things off the top of your head that you say that you would recommend for them to make this approachable? Sure, that's a good question. Summing up, so uh, I think you've got to identify, you know, what is the international goal, right? Uh, and, you know, once once you've established that, you've got to define your international strategy to enable it, the how. Uh, and there are three things using the crawl, walk, run analogy that I would uh, refer to support that. So crawl would be, do your country research, understand how to do business there. The walk would be choose the right tech stack, uh, the right e-commerce platform, uh, the right service partners like Digital River, uh, and of course, a proven agency that can implement uh, your website. And on the run side of things, um, it, it's it's back to basics, I'm afraid. It's, it's, it's execute, measure, review, fix, repeat, and that will keep you uh, in flight. That's fantastic. But as you know, Pierre, and I definitely know that you know, Ted, because we talk about the taxes all the time, right? E-commerce evolves consistently. It's evergreen. So how do you protect yourself, right? What can e-commerce businesses do to future-proof themselves uh, when it comes to selling cross-border? I'm going to go back to you, Pierre, and then maybe back to you, Ted, for some quick summary on that. Okay. So I think, um, so when in flight post-launch, I think uh, foremost, you've got to be aware um, you know, macroeconomics is just killing the world right now, isn't it? I mean, we're, you know, different countries around the world are suffering different rates of inflation, which will affect their buying power, right, to buy products, you know. Uh, so I think it, it is all about being aware. I think uh, you need to understand your target customers, uh, their cross-channel digital engagement, you know, engage those channels, optimize, personalize, customer-first mindset, you know, all those sorts of, you know, sticking to the knitting. Um, I think you've also got to keep an eye out for new influencers. I mean, Amazon are launching their Buy With Prime button. I know it's in the US only for now, but, you know, these are new innovations that, you know, uh, that, 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 will, that will support growth, um, you know, especially from a customer point of view, um, that, you know, they just want to make it easy to buy. Um, and I think the other thing to be mindful of is social selling. I mean, you know, you've got Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, you know, WhatsApp is, is making, you know, it's, it's hugely influential in the Gulf. And yet I never really knew about it in, in terms of, you know, how it's used in the UK. Um, and I was speaking to colleagues in, in the US about how, you know, just straightforward SMS text for coupons uh, and an email for promo deals and, uh, and so on. So I think, you know, it is about being on, being aware uh, on all aspects of, you know, what's going on in relation to your presence in a country. Well, I think this has been hugely informative, both to me and, and, and I hope to our listeners. So I want to thank you both 
for joining us. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Pierre. So, Ted, uh, where can Make Your Big Listeners learn more about Digital River and your capabilities? Yeah, the best. your best option is digitalriver.com. Um, it's a very informative site. And like I said earlier, it has some resources on it that can help to uh, help brands and help merchants understand, you know, um, how they should think about and what are some of the considerations for, uh, for various countries. Um, so we, we try to put some things together, but certainly has a, has a lot of information about, uh, about how we support brands and, and the partners that we have like, uh, like you all. Thank you. And uh, Pierre, I'm always thankful to listen to your intelligence and learn more from you. So uh, with AmericanEagle.com, uh, I probably gave it away, but where can our listeners learn more about AmericanEagle.com? Thank you, Megan. Well, uh, our name says it all. So I'd start with our website, sign up to our newsletter. Um, also, you know, do use LinkedIn, you know, follow AE. You know, we've got some great posts uh, that share sort of insights from, you know, our offices around the world. Uh, connect with AE colleagues, yeah, AE colleagues, uh, and also direct, uh, you know, direct message me. Um, you know, we have a slogan, uh, you know, with AE by your side, you don't just grow, you soar. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both because you've helped me grow and soar on today's podcast. So thank you very much for that. And for those listeners that are out there, you can check out our co-authored guide with Digital River and AmericanEagle.com called Your Commerce Brand Optimized and the 10 Steps to Global Expansion for More Insights. You can find a link in the show notes of this episode. Also, Make It Big 2022 is next week. So don't miss out on your chance to register for our free annual e-commerce thought leadership conference happening on September 13th and September 14th. Visit bigcommerce.com slash make it big. That's bigcommerce.com slash make it big. So we do appreciate you and thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Make It Big podcast. For even more cutting edge insights, check out our Make It Big conference, now available on demand. You'll get e-commerce tips and strategies from global thought leaders like Seth Godin and Jenny Fleiss, plus expert advice from partners like Google, TikTok, and more. Watch today on bigcommerce.com.